Well, hallelujah to the Lamb. It's time for the Word of God, and I'm very excited about what God is going to be speaking to us from His Word through His Holy Spirit. I pray you open your hearts, minds, and souls to be receptive to God's Word. Today, we're going to be preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 29. I'll read it from the New King James Version, Matthew chapter 14, verse 29. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time together. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, verse 29, here's what God's word says. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 30 says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I want to preach about when you get that sinking feeling, when you get that sinking feeling. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 14 opens up with the killing of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, that forerunner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who would prepare the way, the one who introduced Jesus to the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Chapter 14 of Matthew opens with the killing of John the Baptist by King Herod Antipas, this, this corrupt government official who ends up killing this innocent man. John the Baptist had not committed a crime. He had not done anything illegal. He had not done anything wrong. He was innocent. And now this, um, this ungodly government, this corrupt government official decides that he's going to kill John the Baptist. Josephus, that great historian that talks about the history of Israel, uh, he says that uh, that Herod sought to kill John the Baptist because he was concerned about his own political power. He was concerned about all the popularity of John the Baptist and all the influence that John the Baptist had. John the Baptist was preaching and teaching the word of God and thousands and thousands of people were being receptive, that he was baptizing thousands. He had people repenting, changing their mind, changing their heart, turning towards the way of God. The kingdom of God is at hand, the rule, the reign, and the government of God is at hand. And with all of this influence he had, Herod, this corrupt government official said, wait a minute, uh, he may turn people away from me and my popularity and my prestige and my prominence and my political position. So Josephus says uh, that John the Baptist was killed because of what he was doing against that corrupt political system. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 14, Matthew says that it also included 
uh, the, the wife of Herod and the daughter of Herod and the ungodliness. Herod had divorced his wife to marry his brother's wife. And John the Baptist said, you can't live like that. And so you're dealing with this uh, corrupt government official who is uh, doing that which is illegal. He's doing that which is immoral. He has no honesty. He has no integrity. And you mix all of that together. And he killed an innocent man, brought in the military police. They killed John the Baptist. And understand, John the Baptist was a young man. He's only like six months older than Jesus. Jesus began his earthly ministry when Jesus was 30 years old. Jesus died at 33. So John is a young man in his early 30s, an innocent man. And the military police, with their brutality, with that messed up system, with the corrupt government system that was oppressive, had him killed. Then in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, when Jesus heard about this, when he heard what they did to John the Baptist, Jesus decides, I got to get off, spend some time with God, that I need some time alone with God. And so he gets in a boat, heads across the Sea of Galilee. He's looking for a, a place of desolation to get some alone time with God, to get apart with God. And a crowd of people see him. Now he addresses the crowd. He, under, he understands the need to spend some time alone with God. In the face of corrupt government, in the face of social injustice, in the face of his cousin John the Baptist being killed, he says, before I get around people, I need to get around God. He went on and addressed the people and he ministered to the people and he helped those who were hurting and he healed them and he fed the hungry. He did all of that, but he still knew I needed time alone with God. He gets up into a mountain and at a long time with God, he begins to pray. Someone has suggested that if we don't get apart, we'll fall apart. I'm all for protesting with the crowd. I'm all for marching with the crowd. Jesus got around the crowd. He reminded them that that's why I came. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint me to set the captives free, to set the oppressed free. But before I get around people, I got to spend some time alone with God. If I don't get apart, I'm going to fall apart. And he goes up into a mountain because the way to deal with low-down people is not to become low-down. You got to go higher. Michelle Obama says when they go low, that's when we go high. We got to make sure that we've invited Jesus into our life of forgiveness of sin and that we're being filled with God's Holy Spirit and we're going from faith to faith and glory to glory, getting in God's word that we got to take it high. Evil can't cast out evil. Then when somebody's low down, we don't become low down. We go high. Fire can't put out fire. You don't overcome hate with hate. You overcome hate with love. Jesus then feeds this multitude. As he feeds this multitude with two fish, five biscuits, take up leftovers. Here's what John says about this, who also writes this in his gospel. He says that they tried to make Jesus a king. I wish I had hours to talk about this because how are you going to make Jesus what he already is? He was born king of the Jews. He was born king. Now, they were trying to make him the kind of king they wanted him to be rather than accept him as the king that he was. And Jesus told his disciples, y'all get in this boat, go across the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet y'all on the other side. Let me address this crowd. He sends the crowd away. He goes up into the mountain, spends some private time with God. Let me slow it down. He made his disciples, the New King James Version says, to get into the boat. One version says he compelled his disciples to get into the boat and to meet me on the other side. The disciples obey Jesus. And when they obey Jesus, we're in verse 29, they get in the boat. 
They start heading to the other side. They're in the pathway of obedience, doing what Jesus told them to do, going in the direction towards the destination the Lord told them to go, and a serious storm arose. A serious storm? They got in trouble obeying Jesus. Y'all, just because you end up in trouble and end up in these political, social storms and this, these racial storms and these relationship storms, it doesn't mean that you've missed Jesus. You can get in trouble obeying Jesus. They did what he said. They got in the boat. They moved in that direction. They're heading towards the destination. And in obeying him, in the pathway of obedience, a storm hit their boat. Strong winds. The, 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 the King, New King James Version said, boisterous winds, these contrary winds and the waves were hitting against the boat. And they're really going through even after obeying Jesus. Now darkness sets in. It's, it says it's the fourth watch of the night. The Hebrew people, they believe that there were four watches in the night uh, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. That's the first watch from 9 p.m to midnight, that's the second watch, from midnight to 3 a.m., that's the third watch, from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., that's the fourth watch. The New Living Translation just comes out and says it was 3 o'clock in the morning. It's in the dark, in the storm, with the waves and the contrary winds, uh, beating against this boat. Wait a minute, it's in the dark, in the night? Yeah, y'all, storms are bad enough, but storms to me uh, just seem to be worst in the dark. They already bad enough. They just seem to be worse at night. And here they are doing what the Lord told them to do. And here comes a storm hitting against them in the dark. But let me encourage you today that even though storms are bad and they seem to be worse in the dark, that the Lord we serve does some of his best work in the dark. Life has gone dark on you. Things have gone bad. The Lord does some of his best work in the dark. When the children of Israel were in 430 years of oppression in Egypt, God brought them out. One of the plagues he used to bring them out was a plague of darkness. Got so dark you could feel the darkness. And after the darkness, that's when the deliverance came. Because God does some of his best work in the dark. Paul and Silas were in that prison because of their faith in Christ and promoting the kingdom of God. And in that, in that prison, at midnight, they began to sing and pray, and they prayed and sang at midnight in the dark, in the night. God sent an earthquake and shook that thing up and set them free because God does some of his best work in the dark. Peter was in prison because of his commitment to Christ, and he was chained between four guards. And in the night, God sent an angel, woke him up and opened the doors and dropped the shackles that got him out because God does some of his best work in the dark. And I've had some dark days in my life. But I can testify myself that even in those dark times that God did some of his best work. Here they are in the pathway of obedience. They're in the boat Jesus told them to get in, in going in the direction the Lord commanded them to go. Here comes the storm with the winds and the waves and the darkness has set in. Now Jesus has come down out of the mountain. He's now walking on the water in the storm going towards the disciples. I love this. He's moving towards them in the storm, that in our storms, in our darkness, doing contrary times, the Lord will move right to where we, God knows where you are. God knows what you're up against. God knows what's happening in your life. Jesus knows what's going down and he shows up right in the midst of their storm. He's, Jesus is walking on the water and as he's walking on the water in the storms, they see Jesus coming. And when they see Jesus coming, they become afraid. They get scared. 
because they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And they look out there, they think he's a ghost, and they don't recognize, let me, wait, 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 wait. They don't recognize Jesus? These are hand-picked disciples? These are disciples who've been walking with Jesus all of this time? These are disciples that have drank water from the same cup as Jesus, had fish sandwiches with Jesus. They've gone to the synagogue and to the temple with Jesus. These are, they've seen Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, give sight to the blind. They just saw him multiply bread and fish, and now they don't recognize him? No, they don't recognize him in the storm. They recognized him when he was turning water uh, in the wine. They recognized him when he told a lame man, take up your bed and walk. And a man picked up his own mat and began to walk after 38 years of being lame. They recognized him when, when he said, cast your net on the other side and they caught so much fish, your boat's been. They recognized him when he was blessing them with bread and fish and bringing healing and sight to the blind. But in the storm, they didn't recognize. And you and I can't get too judgmental of them because some of us, we don't recognize Jesus now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of the social injustice, in the midst of all this racial divide, I hear people talking about, where is God? Where is Jesus? It's not that he's not here. It's just that you don't recognize him in the storm. You don't recognize him in the darkness. When he was making a way for him, for you, you knew who he was. When he opened door, you're thanking God. Oh, I thank God for my new job, my new house, and my new car. But when darkness came in the storm, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. Jesus said, don't y'all be afraid. It's me. It's the Messiah. It's the Christ. And then Peter, in the boat, in the storm, in the darkness, Peter said, okay, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. Give me the opportunity. Give me an invitation to get out of this boat and to walk on that water with you. Wait. Jesus said, they didn't know who he was. He said, it's me. I'm, I'm the Lord. And Peter said, well, if you're the Lord, prove it. Now, and I know that there are different options he could have used to prove he was to get in the boat and calm the storm. No, I want you, if you are who you say you are, to give me the invitation to get out of the boat, into the storm, onto the water, walking with you. If you are who you say you are, allow me to do the impossible, to walk on that water with you. Allow me to do the incredible. If you are who you say you are, allow me to do the amazing. Allow me to be unique in how I operate. Allow me to do something nobody else has done. Allow me to be first in this situation if you are who you say you are. And it don't seem like I can almost hear the disciples in the boat going, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I wouldn't get out of this boat if I was you. I wouldn't get out there trying to walk on that. Isn't it Interesting that every time we try to do something unique and different, every time we try to do something incredible and amazing and impossible, our family and friends and those, you know, Peter's brother was in the boat. Andrew was his brother. He's a disciple too. So you got family and you got friends and, and followers of Jesus. I wouldn't do that if I was you. Everybody just tried to do something first or amazing or exciting or incredible or impossible. You know how family and friends could be. I wouldn't do that. But Jesus, in essence, is saying, come on, come. I am who I say I am. You can, you can be first in your situation to do this. You can do the impossible, but you got to get out of the boat. It ain't going to happen unless you get out of the boat. I know what your family and friends are saying, but if you're going to do the impossible, you, you got to come out of the box. You cannot limit yourself to the boat and then limit what I do in your life to the boat. You got to be willing to step out on your faith, regardless of what followers of Jesus say, regardless of what family and friends say, regardless of the storm. 
and get out of the boat. And Jesus gave him an invitation. And here's Peter's mentality was this. It's safer on the water, on the sea, in the storm, with the waves, with Jesus than it is in the boat without him. Wherever Jesus is, I want to be there. It's safer with Jesus in the storm than it is in the boat without Jesus. Peter steps out on his faith. He begins to walk on the, can you see how incredible, how amazing, how impossible this is at the invitation of Jesus. He's walking on the water. And then here's the, what I wanted to get across to you. The text says, and beginning to sink. Wait a minute. How do you go from being on top of all of this, in the storm, in the dark, with the waves, you on top of all of this, to now uh, you being overwhelmed. You were overcoming, you on top of it. Now uh, you are overwhelmed, you're under this thing. How do you go from being on top of it to now sinking in it? And it said, the text helps us. It says that he saw the boisterous winds. He saw the effects of the wind. When he had focused on the Savior, he was walking on the water. But when he took his eyes off the Savior and put his eyes on the situation, on the waves, on the winds, when he saw the winds beating against that boat and the waves beating against that boat and the waves crashing into one another, he said, wait a minute now. And he began to sink. Because as long as we focus on the Savior, regardless of our, what our situation is, we can stay on top of it. We can overcome. But once we take our eyes off the Savior, that's now when we're overwhelmed. And that doesn't mean ignore the situation. That's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean act like the wind is not blowing and the waves are not there and it's not dark. No. But in the midst of the situation, I'm going to keep my eyes on the Savior. Because God has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name that's above every name. So regardless of the reality of my situation, you can name that situation. Whatever you name that situation, go on and give it a name. Pandemic, go on and name it. Social injustice, go on and name it. Sickness and disease, go on and name it. Underemployment, go on and name it. Unemployed, go on and name it. Breakdown of family, divorce, heart disease. Whatever name you're dealing with in your situation. God has highly exalted him and has given Jesus a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that you can stay on top regardless of your troubles. You can overcome regardless. Jesus, y'all, Jesus is walking on what he's sinking in. How do you go from standing on top of it to sinking in it? Took his eyes off Jesus and it said he was watching the wind. That's the effects of the wind. In, in Detroit, Michigan, at the D Detroit Metropolitan Airport, a Northwest Airlines Flight 255 took off. And as it took off to get, his, get to this destination, on the takeoff, there was a gust of wind that came through. There was a, uh, the, uh, the, the plane crashed. Matter of fact, 155 people lost their lives that day. One survivor, a four-year-old girl survived that. One survivor through all of that. And of course, when the plane crashes, as every plane when they crash, there's an investigation done. And with an investigation, I'm sure they do tons of things, but fundamentally they boil it down to three things to figure out why a plane crashes. Weather conditions, human error or pilot error, or mechanical failure. Well, they looked at this flight, Northwest Flight 255, and discovered that there was a, a shift in the wind. They're trying to take off, trying to get to their destination, but ended up wrecked because of a shift 
in the wind. How did Peter go from being on top of all this to overcoming to getting that sinking feeling <laughs> to now going being under what he used to be on? Because yeah, he looked at the winds. There was a shift in the wind. Somebody, you were on your way to success, on your way to everything you thought you would ever be, the American dream. And then the pandemic set in. There was a shift in the wind. Uh, that young person, you on the verge of graduating from college, got that internship that hopefully will turn into a real job or at least lead you to another real job somewhere else. And then the pandemic came and the economic downturn and they cut your internship. And now instead of hiring people, they're letting people go. There was a shift in the wind that you finally got that house. You know, in the United States, that's how you move on to financial self-sufficiency. So many people rent for their entire lives. They don't understand that housing is, um, is, is a permanent need. And if you got a permanent need for housing, why are you using temporary situations like renting to address it? So you, you said, I'm gonna buy this house and you finally on the verge of getting that done. And then all that unemployment, all that underemployment, all those layoffs and furloughs, there was a shift in the wind. And if you and I are not careful, we'll be like Peter, where we used to be on top of things. And now we get in this sinking feeling and we begin to sink. But I encourage you, if you could just keep your eyes stayed on Jesus Christ, if you focus on the Lord, everything is going to be all right. Because the very thing you're sinking in, Jesus is walking on. He's still in control. Peter was walking on the water in the storm and he began to sink. And when he got that sinking feeling, the text says, and he cried to the Lord, Lord, save me. That's a, that's a good thing to do right there. When you find yourself in a crisis, when you find yourself in calamity, when you find yourself in chaos, I dare you to cry out to the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. You got to learn how to pray. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we've been dealing with being a storm survivor for the past four or five weeks. And everybody in these messages from the word of God that survived the storms, they called on the Lord. All of them prayed. And so here's Peter doing the same thing. He begins to pray. In the Old Testament, God says, call on me in the time of trouble. And I will answer you and you will glorify my name. You got to call on the Lord when you find yourself sinking, when you see that I'm not at the level I used to be and all hell is breaking loose in my life. You don't have to give up and turn your back on God. That's the time to go to God and call on the name of the Lord. You've already given him your faith. You believe Jesus died on the cross. You believe God raised him from the dead. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You got a connection with the church. You got all of that. But take advantage of your prayer life too. And Peter cried out to the Lord. And when he cried out to the Lord, here's what he prayed. Lord, save me. It wasn't no long, drawn out prayer. It was just, Lord, save me. I was at a, at a convention of Christian leaders and they, all kind of things were going on from early in the morning to late at night. But one thing they did every day, they had classes on how to pray every day for five straight days. They had classes on how to pray, showing in the word of God. And I, I thought that was wonderful. Five straight days learning how to pray. And that's great. That's wonderful. But when you used to be on top of it, now you're sinking in it. There's been a shift in the wind. Things have turned on you and you find yourself suddenly going down. I don't know if you're going to have enough time to find your iPad and your laptop to pull up your notes about what you learned about five days of learning how to pray. 
But I guarantee you just do like Peter. Lord, save me. And that prayer is good enough for Jesus to step into your situation. I grew up in a church that we used to have what they call devotion to lead us into worship, devotion. So we have our, the deacons of the church to go and they would sing songs and read scripture and prayer. That's before the worship even started. They called it devotion. And I love the way our deacons prayed. And uh, our deacons were, had creativity in their prayers. They had ingenuity in their prayers. And they would come in and fall on their knees. And as they began to pray, they would say things like, uh, Lord, here I come. Uh, knee bent and body bowed to Mother Earth. They had creativity and ingenuity in their prayers. And then they would say things like, Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you that last night was not my last night. They had creativity and ingenuity. Thank you that last night my bed was not my cooling board and my covers, my wine and she. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Then they begin to send God God, please go to the hospital and please go to the nursing home and go to the juvenile center and go to the, and they begin to send God a lot. I love the way they pray. But when you find yourself in a pandemic, in the midst of social injustice, in the midst of a racial divide, when the winds have shifted and when you used to stand on this, but now you sinking in this, you ain't got enough time to be knee bent and body bowed to Mother Earth. You just got to cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And that's the kind of God I serve, that when you cry unto him, Peter is showing us that God, that Jesus will show up and that Jesus will save you and rescue you and Jesus will help you. You got to learn how to cry to the Lord. That problem that, that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I tried and I tried, but I kept getting deeper in Bob. But I turned it over to Jesus and I stopped worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord. He worked it out. And when you find yourself with that sinking feeling, go on and cry unto the Lord and have enough confidence that the Lord can and will catch you. Peter's walking on the water. He looks at the waves. Now he begins to sing, Lord, save me. And I love this. The text says, and immediately Jesus stretched out and he caught Peter. Immediately he caught. You got to have enough confidence and faith in Jesus to know He'll kept, but that's about faith. That's about trust. That's about belief. That's about hope. That's why when Jesus showed up walking on the water, they, they were afraid. He said, oh, no, no, fear not. And then, then he started talking to them, where is your faith? Yeah, because your faith pushes out fear. And that's how the enemy knows, too, that, that fear pushes out faith. Faith and fear are mutually exclusive terms. The more fear you have, then the less faith you have. But the more faith you have, then, then the less fear that you have. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the more I build up in my faith, the more I'm able to push out those fears. Jesus said, fear not to them. He can't catch you. And then he carried him to the, he can catch you and carry you. Then he calmed the storm. He can catch you, carry you and calm your storm. But you got to have enough faith and confidence to believe that he said, fear not. Somebody went through uh, the King James Version and counted all the times that it said, fear not in the King James Version. They counted all the times that it said, fear not in the King James come to find out it's 365 fear nots in the Bible. And I don't believe that's by accident. I believe that's by intent. That's not accident. That's providence because there are 365 days in the year. So God said, Jeffrey Johnson, I don't want you spending not one day in fear. 
So I'm going to give you a fear not for every day of your life. Go on and read through the Bible. It's a bunch of fear nots. Hagar, that black African sister, that single parent raising her son Ishmael by herself was wondering if they were going to make it. And the Lord showed up and said, fear not. Elisha, when he was in Dothan with his servant and they were surrounded by enemy army and his servant was afraid, then Elisha said, fear not. When Joseph got ready to marry Mary uh, in the New Testament, he thought she'd been playing on him. Then the angel showed up and said, you don't have to be afraid uh, to marry Mary. He told uh, Joseph to fear not. When the angel came to the Virgin Mary, talking about you're going to have a baby. She tried to figure this thing out. And the angel said, fear not. And as you go through scripture, you see 365 fear nots, one for every day of the year. And there is a reason why the children of God ought not fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because the Lord is with me. Have the confidence that he can catch you even in that sinking feeling. Watch this. He's sinking. He, he's walking on the water. He begins to sink. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus caught him. Wait. He's walking on the water and immediately, Jesus. That means he's sinking in the presence of Jesus. He's close to Jesus and still sinking. Then in the boat, he's got the other 11 disciples. He's got his brother Andrew. He's got Bartholomew. He's got uh, Judas in there. He's, he's got Simon the Canaanite in there. He's, he's got all, all these other disciples that, that James in, is in there. John is in there. All these other disciples. And he's sinking in, in the face of Jesus and with the, in front of him and the followers of Jesus behind him. He, y'all, you can sink at church. He's a believer. He's a follower. He trusts Jesus. He's witnessed miracles and still sinking. You can sink at, you can be connected to Christ and his church and in the kingdom and be a disciple and a follower and all of that. And here he is still, he wasn't at the club. He, he wasn't, he wasn't at the meth house. He wasn't at the dope house or the crack house. He's in the presence of Christ and the believers and still sinking. And you know what? His family and friends in the boat may not have even known he was sinking. I know his wife back home didn't know he was sinking. In the boat, they so busy, it's in the dark, and they trying to get the wind, deal with the wind and the wave. They may not have known he was sinking. But you know who knew they were sinking? <laughs> Peter did. Because even when nobody else knows, your family, your friends, the people you go to church with, even when nobody else knows you're sinking, the moment your foot starts to go under, you're the first one to know it. We know whether or not we on top of it or now we're sinking. Don't pray like I used to pray. Don't even try to fast. Don't live like I used to live. Don't witness about my faith. I don't give the way I used to give. I don't tithe the way I used to tithe. I don't serve and minister the way I used to. Even when nobody else knows it, the moment your foot goes under, you know you're the one sinking. But the good news is even in all of that, when he said, Lord, save me. The Lord caught him. Have enough confidence to know that the Lord is in the catching business. The Lord knows how to catch us when we are sinking, when we're falling. This was in uh, recently in, in Phoenix, Arizona. There was an apartment building that caught on fire. And there was a mother with her three-year-old son. 
that was at the top of the balcony and the apartment was on fire on the third floor. She made up in her mind, I'm not going to be able to go back through the flames and then down the stairs. through. I can't have my baby go through all of that. She decided I'm going to drop my baby over the balcony. The, the apartment is on fire. They're stuck up there. She drops her three-year-old baby. Just so happens. No, let me back that up. That's not an accident. That's providence that God prepared this man by chance just to be there. And this man, Philip Banks, he sees what's going on and he walks over it as she drops the baby. This three-year-old now is fallen. Philip Banks used to play wide receiver in high school for four years. So every day for four years, he's been learning how to come up under a ball. He's been learning how to measure it. He's been learning how to catch. So now when the baby drops, when the baby is sinking, when the baby is falling, he comes up under the baby, he catches the baby and runs from the fire, saves the baby's life. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you. That here is a man, Philip Banks, who didn't even know this child, never met this child, didn't know anything about the child, but still had enough compassion and love and, and wherewithal to come up under and catch him and save him. If that'll happen with somebody that don't even know the child, how much more shall our heavenly father with his children, how much more shall God who so dem demonstrated his love towards us that Christ died will come up under us when we're sinking and be able to catch us? Y'all, I'm not preaching and teaching and pastor in one of God's greatest churches because I never messed up because I didn't find myself overwhelmed and start losing my faith. I never messed up. I never began to sink and drop and fall. I'm preaching and teaching God's word and ministering because I serve a God that'll catch you. If you got enough confidence and faith and trust, he'll get up under you and catch you and rescue you and save me. Then carried him to the boat and a calmness came on. He'll catch you, he'll carry you, and then he'll calm your situation. Last one and I'm done. Because I already know what you're thinking. These are Jesus' disciples. They've been obedient to Jesus. They jumped. He commanded them to get in the boat. They got in. They went in the direction he told them to go, towards the destination he told them to go in. If they're doing all this obedience for him, they helped feed the, the, the people with the two fish and the five biscuits, and they took up leftovers. They ministered and served, and they did all that. Why would Jesus allow that storm to come in their life? I already know your question. And here's what the, the text is teaching us, is that, Jesus knows that there are some things you can only learn in a storm. When Jesus walked up on them, walked on that water, they didn't know who he was. But after they went through that storm and Jesus did what he did, in verse 33, they said, truly, this must be the son of God. They didn't learn that when he turned water into wine. They, when he met, had the lame man to, to get up after 38 years and start walking, they didn't say, this must be the son of God. When he gave that blind man his sight, we've been born blind. And then Jesus told him, go wash. After Jesus put mud in his eyes, told him, go wash. The man came back saying, his disciples didn't say, this must be the son of God. But when all hell broke loose, when there was a shift in the wind, when one of their friends and family members began to sink, when the waves began to beat at that situation, when John the Baptist, a young man, ends up getting killed, and nobody had to suffer a consequence as a result of that. With all of that government uh, corruption, with all of that social injustice and police brutality, when Jesus dealt with all of that, they said, Shh, this got to be the son of God. Because some lessons you can only learn in the storm. Peter didn't even know he could walk on water until a storm came. I'll close it like this. 
I'm born and raised in Indianapolis, and my, my wife is born and raised in Indianapolis, and we, we stayed in Indiana, so our children uh, spent all their lives, most of it, in Indiana. They went to high school in Indiana, and when they went to high school in Indiana, y'all, we get blizzards and freezing rain and hail and ice, and we get all, it's, it's, it, winter can be a mess uh, here in Indianapolis, and so every now and then schools have school closings and delays, and our children's high school they used to call us early in the morning to let us know if it's a school closing or a delay because of the snow or the blizzard or the fog or the cold. They, and really, they weren't calling. They had like a machine calling us. It was so early in the morning, and they got to call thousands of families. So they had a machine call, and then our machine picked up. So you had a machine from the school calling the machine at our house. And they say, uh, there's a delay. There's a two-hour delay. Because of the blizzard, because of the ice and the storm, it's a two-hour delay because of the weather conditions. But then one time we got this call, and I'm sure more than one, the one that I took, and they said that there is a, a two-hour delay. Even though there has been freezing rain and cold and sleet and snow, that's not the reason for the delay. We're going to push through the weather but we still got a two-hour delay. This time, the machine said to my machine that the delay is for teacher development day. If we're going to have a two-hour delay, not because of how bad the weather is, we can make it through that, but this two-hour delay is because we're going to spend this time with development of our teachers who are developing our students who we're trying to get education and then go on to get careers. But in order for that to happen, we got to have this delay, not because of the weather condition, but they need some development in order to get to that destination. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you. That every now and then, even when the storms come, yeah, Christ can press through these storms. He can, he can, he can speak peace to the storm, but he said that's not the reason. The weather condition is not the reason for the delay, not the pandemic, not the social injustice, not the racial divide. That's not the, the delay is because I'm trying to teach you something that you wouldn't be able to learn without this delay to get you to your destination. Because when I get you to where you're going, I want you to be able not just to survive, but to thrive doing that. And so he decides that there's some lessons you can only learn in the storm. Surely, this must be the Son of God. And when I look back over my life, I got to admit that some lessons I learned in the dark, in the wind, when the wind shifted, in the difficulties, in the hardship. Y'all, I've been a lot of places, and I've seen a lot of faces, but there have been times I felt so all alone. But in those lonely hours, in those blessed lonely hours, Jesus showed up, and he told me I was his own. And, and that's why I thank God for my mountains, and I thank him for my valleys. I thank him for all he's brought me through. If I never had a problem, how would I know God could solve him? How would I know what faith in his word could do? Through it all, I learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I learned to trust in God. Through it all, I learned to depend upon his word. But some lessons can only be learned in the storm. When you get that sinking feeling, cry out to the Lord. Keep trusting in him. Keep believing. He'll catch you. He'll carry you. And he'll carry you until he calms your situation 
to get you to your final destination. Amen. Praise the Lord.